The MTG Podcast is a virtual space for women and men in the tech and creative industries. Tune in as we put it all on the table, sharing authentic life truths as we sustain and empower each other in search of our tribe. We're more than a designer. We're more than our name badge. We're more than the work we produce. Welcome to the More Than Graphics Podcast. We're We're that that tribe. Well, hello. Welcome to a very special episode of the More Than Graphics podcast. I'm Danielle. I'm Cicely. And together we make this harmonious tribe called More Than Graphics. And I absolutely love the fact that as we continue to grow into this amazing season, season five of the More Than Graphics podcast, we also get to like share some some really cool and surreal things with people. Uh, in one of them. (laughs) Uh, Happy Women's History Month, everyone. Um, And that includes you too, dudes. Um, I think it's really important that as we continue to echo this conversation in and around um, the presence of women, the uh, legacy of women, and even women in tech, right? Women creatives, which is what this podcast is created for, that we just continue to uplift, continue to and prompt continue to uh, push forward this platform of women. So I'm really excited today because we have a person that has embodied that her entire life. Her legacy is the um, empowerment and the embodiment of pushing women forward, especially in the realm of tech. So um, thanks for joining us live on Facebook or YouTube today as we continue to celebrate and discuss the theme of March for Women's History Month with trailblazing women in tech. So I just kind of want to get the conversation started, Cicely, like since the last time we've chatted and we've quite a bit, but I want to say, have you seen any difference in changes in how we celebrate Women's History Month so far? Um, I'm just seeing like a lot of really good, um, I guess, social media efforts by especially women founded companies, women run companies. Um, So it's really funny that like almost every company I've ever worked for in tech has been female founded, which I didn't even think about until um, really like until about the other day. I was like, wow, like literally there's at least been one female founder, if not everyone was a female who founded the company. So I'm like, you know, that's really cool to think about. And it's really awesome to be able to be in that space as someone who never had any like connections or ties and thought I would ever work in tech because it just wasn't my thing. Um, I've now, you know, because the world's evolving and because um, healthcare is evolving, things like that. Like I now have found that tech is my home. So like, this is where I thrive and where I'm comfortable and I can still do all the things that I'm good at and love to do in this space. And I absolutely love working for women. So that's another change <laughs> that I've kind of seen that there's like just this that. push. Like it's so much better to work for women. The ideas are different. The way that we do things are different. And that's what I didn't know I needed in my life. So I'm just really excited to see um, where women in tech will continue to go and to see how many more women um, become founders of companies and really just, you know, blow the lid off of the fintech industry, the health tech industry that I'm in specifically, and just really the rest of the tech world and contribute to, you know, life as we know it. So I'm excited about it. Oh my gosh, yes. I feel like this, the march is on, right? Like, <laughs> and we don't even notice it, like how much it's become part of our everyday life and living now. Like, exactly. that is that is such a, a dream, right? Um, to think of where we were 50 years ago, to think of where we were 20 years ago. Um, I just feel like that, that legacy that we're leaving behind is sustainability. We're here and we're not Absolutely. going anywhere. 
So mm. we're going to continue this March. <laughs> I'll be playing puns on March, the word March for the rest of this episode, <laughs> so everyone knows. So as we talk about this topic of March, I actually wanted to kind of share some like base stats on women in tech. Uh, this is from explodingtopics.com. As of 2023, women hold 26.7% of technology jobs. As of wow. as as of that number, like out of that number, uh, the 27%, 56% or 79,163 women uh, are women of color working these specific technology jobs. Um, mid-sized tech sector companies have led the way in promoting workplace diversity, boasting, uh, boosting more than 53% of the industry's leading employers. So it's just something wow. to kind of wrap your head around as we were looking at, you know, this number maybe 20 years ago, <laughs> maybe 10 years ago, we'll even get closer, you know, the time that you were a kid to the time that you're an adult, right? That number right. has incredibly changed. And I do think that's because women are being more aware. Um, we are advocating for each other and with each other. Um, and I do believe that that number will increase increment incrementally um, over the next 10 years. I mean, I hope this number does more than double. So I definitely want to bring on today's guest, who is, again, a, a founder, a pioneer in tech for women. Um, Cicely, would you like to introduce Kimberly Bryant? Absolutely. Kimberly Bryant is a Memphis, Tennessee native and always thought of herself as a nerdy girl. She loved math and science at an early age, and it drove her passion to pursue a STEM career. Bryant was enticed by the early technology of microchips, personal computers, and portable cell phones. She worked for numerous companies in the electrical, biotech, and pharmaceutical fields, such as Pfizer, Merck, Genentech, and Novartis. Once Kimberly founded The Black Girls Code, a nonprofit organization that focuses on providing technology and computer programming education to African-American girls, Bryant was listed as one of the 25 most influential African-Americans in technology by Business Insider. Welcome to the originator, the founding mother, Kimberly Bryant. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Kimberly, we are so excited that you're here. Like, this is so cool. <laughs> We're all geeking out, just so you know. Like, deep down, each one of us are like, wow, she's here. She's in the space. She's, like, alive right here. Um, let me just start with just saying, one, the your bio is amazing. And I feel like it, it's not even a fraction, really, of the impact that you have left on brown women. Let me just say that out loud. Not just black girls, but brown women specifically. So I really want to just like applaud and continue to have these open conversations in and around um, creating that space um, for more women in tech. So I kind of want to lead off with this topic as we talk about March. Like when you started out, what was some of the pushback that you received as you excelled in tech? That's a great question. I, I think I love the statistics that you gave, um, Danielle, at the beginning of the podcast, because it kind of centers us and, and, you know, in a way to, you know, what's the possibility for a growth and opportunity in the area, but also really centers us around how much, how far we have come. So I think like for me and reflecting on like where we were almost 11, 12 years ago, when I had this idea of creating a space that really centered Black girls in the tech industry. Um, there were very few of us that 
were look like you and I and Sicily, like we weren't in the space and we certainly weren't in the space in roles of leadership. So less than less than 5%, well less than 5% of women were really in the tech industry and even less that were in leadership roles. And so for me, I thought that there was a necessity, not even just a need, there was a necessity to create an organization that would not only nurture and give these skill sets to young black women that so they can't become the future leaders, but that we could start to have a conversation. So sort of like to, to kick the door open on a conversation of like, why are there not more women in these spaces? And certainly why are there not more women and people of color um, who make up such a significant part of the, of the population and demographics in the US, but we're not uh, represented and the leading industry that's driving innovation. And that was like really my focus and goal was to create a pipeline, yes, but also like to really uh, force the industry, if you will, to discuss the elephant in the room, which is, you know, there are no people from marginalized communities that play a significant role in what's being created from technology or who are leading these eras of innovation in this next global revolution. And I, I think that, and I, I thought, and I still do think that is a problem that we need to continue to focus some energy and effort on solving. I love that. And I love the fact that this continues to be an ongoing thing. It's not something that's just a temp fix or we put a bandaid here or yeah, we started the bridge, but we're not really using the bridge yet. We'll just put a, you know, do not walk sign yet and just leave it there for uh, visual purposes. Mm -hmm. I love the fact that this is an ongoing thing. Um, just because we started doesn't mean we are finished. We are still moving toward that goal. Um, I just love that visionary thinking because that's a, that's a kind of a, a taboo almost subject, even for women in tech. It's like, I'm here. And then that's it. Like, there's no more. There's no dot, dot, dot. There's no therefore. There's no, and then it's just, I'm here. And I love the fact that the way that you speak about the evolution of women continues the dot, dot, dot. It adds yeah. the and, or, um, what is it called? The yar statement, the and, or, and if. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I love that because I feel like that is a uh, very, uh, inspiring to me. Um, when we talk about women in tech, uh, a lot of times we're referring to, you know, women's history month, but mm -hmm. the history part actually is the living part of us continuing to do those um, same movements every single day. So today is history. Tomorrow is history. Um, things along those lines. I just love that powerful, that powerful language that you use in regards to that. I feel like that's very advantageous. And for a lot of women in tech, I would love to know, like, was there a certain type of mentality or phrase that you had to kind of armor yourself with when you're walking into these spaces where you had to represent marginalized groups? Yes, that's a great question, Danielle. I would say there, there's a trait and there's a, a mindset. So like for me, the trait was like resiliency, I think for uh, a black, as a black woman, but maybe even just as a person from a marginalized community, this notion of resiliency is like key, like because there are so many biases and, and I won't just say prejudices and even just right now racism that um, seeks to keep us out of certain rooms and out of certain opportunities that persist. You know, like this is 2023 and I look at what's happening in the world around us and 
there's as much blatant racism as a, for me as it was for my mother growing up in the 50s and the 60s. So like I think that we have to have this spirit of resiliency to push through even when folks are really doing everything in their powers to keep us behind. And now these 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 tools are baked into our system. So most of the times when I look around at issues that are happening around us that are disadvantageous for equity, um, there's systemic issues that are at play. It's like we have to look a couple layers below the surface because there's a systemic thing that we have to disrupt. Um, but I also want to say that the spirit of self-efficacy is vitally important for me as a Black woman because there are more than and I don't even say a fraction of folks that want to tell me why I can't do X, Y, and Z because I'm a black woman, because I show up in this, this body and this, and this body and this entity every day. And, and folks don't want me to show up this way. Folks don't want me to speak a certain way. Folks don't want me to have a certain self-confidence about knowing how I want to move forward and make change in the world. And I think that is the same for every single black woman and especially a black woman that is an innovator, a creator, a leader, there's so many cards stacked against us. So having a sense of self-efficacy that you know what you know and no one's going to tell you any different is, is, is vital to our survival. I don't even want to say success. I want to say survival um, because there's well too many ways that we get lost in the system. And I think having this sense of self-efficacy, of knowing who we are, knowing what we're capable of, and knowing that we have everything that we need already from the creator is the most important piece of our survival that we can hold on to. Wow. <laughs> like, I don't even know how to like follow that. I mean, there's so many good nuggets here. Um, the goal was to enforce the industry to address the elephant in the room. Hmm. Yeah. And we talk about that on an everyday basis almost with this podcast because there is multiple elephants in the room. The elephants of having our voice be absolutely vital to a conversation in and around our male counterparts. Um, the elephant in the room being a person of color coming from a, a marginalized group or community. Um, that is an elephant in the room. And, and unfortunately, still racism exists. And it's going to be around for a while. So until we start learning to make it smaller by dismantling it, that will continue to be the elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. So I just feel like it's one of those situations where you continue to push forward despite the, the, the pressure, right? The pressure to be just as good as everyone else in the room, the pressure to conform to the ideas and ideas. And ide ideals of others um, and then also that society pressure of just being a person that looks different from everybody else I just so relate to a lot of those feelings and I'm sure many women and men who are listening um, to this episode can relate to that um, if you are listening out here in the audience live today feel free to say hi in the comments I just want to pop that in there um, we'd love for you to ask a question if you have one for Kimberly um, but I, I just kind of want to circle back to some of those um, initial kind of uh, views, if you will. So that mm -hmm. defining moment for you, when you realize that your success, uh, everything that you have created um, for women, especially for Black women in tech, um, can you share like a defining moment for you and you're like, wow, okay, I did that? Yeah, I mean, there there have been quite a few. I think 
Someone sometimes, you know, 2020 is a lot easier than when you're in the moment. <laughs> so I think now that, you know, I'm in this process of building, you know, something new and envisioning like next stages of my career, I have a, a much clearer vision of how much impact that I actually made in the moment. Because over the past 10 years, you know, I wasn't really focusing on what my impact was be. I was trying to like build a business. I was trying to um, build a business that was creating change for our particular community. I was trying to grow and scale this business. So I wasn't really as cognizant of like the impact, the, how, how significant the impact was. Um, and over the last few years, you know, I definitely started to take a closer look at it. But, but I think for me is and seeing girls that were part of the program, that were part of Black Girls Code, um, that are now either in college and thriving or starting to come out of college and go into these roles at some of the largest tech industry um, providers in the world, that I see like the impact. But I also see it when, you know, like at times like this, either Black History Month or um, in Women's History Month, but it's certainly um, very prevalent in Black History Month when I look up and I see like little seven-year-olds writing a report on Black Girls Code at Kimberly Bryant. I'm like, wait, how'd that happen? Um, because I see the work as being really historical. Like I always said, the work that we were doing was revolutionary, but I think that also the work that we're doing is historical because it really created an opportunity for young people, Black people, boys and girls to see themselves as innovators in a way that they maybe not had before. So like I could look like these kids, mama, and, and that's great <laughs> because, you know, that's who kids reflect and look up to. So seeing a Black woman that could be your mama, maybe I could even look like somebody's grandmama right now, but maybe a young grandmama, but <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. But I mean, that's great because just think of the impact on young, a young person who opens a history book or they maybe not open a book now, they Google um, something about technology or innovation and they see someone that could be their mother, um, their sister, their grandmother, their auntie. That's powerful. And I think for me, that's been a defining moment for me and reflecting on the work and, and the impact of the organization that really supersedes like all the accolades and all the things that we did in growing this business. It, it's the impact, the historical impact in creating this, you know, unabashedly um, self-confident organization that focuses on Black girls. And I think that's been probably the most, I wouldn't say the humbling part of what I consider to be my legacy is that it's the historical impact of the work. All right. I know I've talked too much. I'm waiting for you to sleep. <laughs> I was like, I could go on forever. I'm just soaking it all in. I was taking notes. I even like wrote on my little post-it, but oh my gosh, there's so much of what you said. It was just so profound. And as someone who like, kind of how I mentioned, I never thought I'd work in tech. I think it is so important to see people that look like you or your aunt or your mama or your grandma so that you can see that example. Because now um, very much like you said, like if our children see us do these things, like I have a teenage son, he's 13. 
but when he can see me working from home, working in tech, using, you know, I always joke like my eight, I don't have 800 degrees, I'm working on my third, but like when he can see, you know, mom doing all these things, but also building a life that's flexible that, you know, I'm happy with, I think it's so important because I didn't have that example. Like my mom's amazing. And again, she's crazy amount of degree, like four degrees, all, you know, hard worker, very smart woman, but like tech was never her thing. That was never anything that I heard like growing up. So I graduated high school a little less than 20 years ago. And that was just something that wasn't, you know, like talked about in my family. It was something that nobody did. And if they did, they went very much like the engineering kind of mathematics. And I am not an engineering math kind of girl. So I was like, well, you know, I just don't think there's a place for me. I, I don't fit in in this world. So as an adult, when um, health tech started to become a thing and like more people, there was more access to people that look like me, younger people who were making career pivots as well. Like then it made sense. I was like, there's been a place for me here this whole time. I just didn't know about it because I never saw anybody that reflected who I was, like my personality, the things I like to do. I never saw anyone, you know, in my general um kind of my general bubble, I never saw anyone who reflected those things. Yeah. Um, so that just, it made me think about mentorship and how important that is. It made me think about just really being a young girl, being a young person, especially in a marginalized group, a person of color, just being exposed to as many positive um, role models and influences and different jobs, because now I'm trying to like push gently, push my son into pursuing something in tech, or, you know, he's very much into video games. So like coding and programming, which is not mom's thing and that's okay. <laughs> but I have like the aptitude now where I work in those spaces with those people, clearly getting to do this podcast interview with you, where I'm like, I know it's possible. And there's people that look like us that are successful, that are excited about the work that they do, that are making you know, the contributions that, that you see for Roblox and Minecraft and things like that, people that look like us are helping to build your favorite games that you won't stop playing and right. that get on my nerves. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I mean, I think about it's amazing. This standpoint, like I, I remember this one incident that um, I went to a screening of Hidden Figures, like, a, and I, I probably saw Hidden Figures. I promise I probably saw about 10 times. <laughs> At least, you know, like, I went like, and we were taking girls from Black Girls Cove from all over um, the U.S. to these screenings. But I want, I remember vividly one particular screening I went to with my daughter. So I had seen this movie. I had seen it first. Then I went to a screening and brought my daughter, Kai. And I noticed that in one part of the, the screening and the movie, she was crying and I, you know, noticed that she was crying and it, I don't remember what part and maybe the part where Taraji like said, I bring this coffee, you don't see me. I don't know what it was. It was some part of this movie. There were so many touching moments, but I noticed that my daughter who was about maybe 18 at the time, she was, she was crying and it made me cry because I recognized at that moment that she saw both the women in this movie that were trailblazers, but she also felt that as a young woman who is in tech, you know, who is in STEM and, and, and there was a connectedness, right, to the past, to me as their contemporary role model, to her present. And it brought me to tears. And I thought about how important, like the movie was incredibly important because it showed all of us that we've been here all along. They just, we weren't seen, 
But it also was significant for me in that it, it made my focus on the work even, even more focused because it was like, no, like we, we weren't seen. And now these girls know that we've been here before, but this is a, a way, this is a, a I want to say this is our charge. To me, that, that movie was like passing the baton to me and these girls, like, okay, it's our time to take it further, right? And to make sure that we're never not seen again. And I, I think of that in like everything that I do, even, you know, over the last 10 years and the things that I'm doing now, it's about how do we take the work a step further? Like we've been here, we've done the work, we have made advances, but I think for all of us, like you, myself, Cicely, Danielle, like it's our job to push the needle, push the needle a little bit further for the next generation. Like that's, that's what I believe is our job. It's like, we need to push the needle and we may not, we may not see the, the results of our work right now. Like if we're lucky, we can, but I think our work is to make the pathway a little bit easier for the next generation. So, you know, we don't have to have these same discussions in the future. That's kind of how I think about it. Yes. Just I had to clap. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's amazing. And I really love that you were able to have that moment with your daughter and just really kind of reflect on just like you said, that we've been here the whole time. Like, um, we all know that especially when, you know, it comes around to Black History Month, every little kid learns, you know, Black, White, Latino, doesn't matter. Every kid learns all the contributions that Black people have made to the society. It doesn't start at peanut butter and light bulbs and, you know, stoplights and you know, feminine products. Um, like we've been here, like like you said, we've been here. Um, but one of the important things, like I just wanted to kind of circle back to, since we mentioned like that mentorship and how important it is to have someone who sees you and who looks like you and that recognizes you and, you know, speaking of being seen and who can see you for who you are. Um, how would you say that teaching and mentoring young black girls in tech has changed your life? And then how did it change um, kind of the vision that you see for young women in tech for the next generation? Mm. Uh, that's a great question. I think for me, um, the piece, the mentoring piece of it has been the most fulfilling uh, part of this, if I consider it my life's work, is being able to be a mentor and being able to create mentors for others. So like, I think for the girls that were part of our program when we were building Black Girls Code, being able to have someone who maybe came from our hometown, um, same hometown, or you know, went to the same college as, or, or we were looking to go to, that's what I'm thinking in, in the mind of the girls. Like here's someone that's going to Stanford, Berkeley, and those are the aspirational places that our girls want to go to. And majoring in engineering, like that is a significant um, motivation, if you will, motivator for the girls is that if this woman who looks like me can do it, then I can do it too. And I reflect on that in terms of my experience of being a woman in engineering, which is also a very male dominated field. And the very first black woman that I just Miss, I don't even want to say it was just a random serendipity. I ran into another black woman on campus in my freshman year um, who was also an electrical engineer and she was a couple of years ahead of me. And she was this big, tall, you know, majestic, supreme looking 
sister. And that became one of my closest friends, but also one of my very first mentors. And if it were not for meeting, you know, this mentor who's now a professor at University of South Florida, I don't know if I would have made it. I don't think I would have stayed those four years because it was difficult. But I knew that if this woman who was also another Black woman that looked like me from the South, you know, from family, like Christian family, Baptist, you know, she played basketball. I'm too short to do all that. But but still, like having a role model, if you will, that I could create this mentorship relationship with, it was vital to my survival at, at Vanderbilt. And I wouldn't have made it through without that. So I take mentorship like really seriously because I know how much of a difference it can make because there's so many places that we kind of fall through the cracks if we don't have someone to give us that lifeline, a hand to pull us back. And so this core of mentorship and then also teaching our girls how to mentor each other and become near peer mentors is extremely powerful because I've seen girls that have gone through our program that um, they were the mentees when they were seven and eight and nine. But by the time they're 18, they have mentees of their own within the program. So the girls are looking up to them and it becomes a very beautiful cyclical process of mentees becoming mentors and then giving back in ways to kind of create the next one of them. And that's very, very powerful in in the circles of women that I've been a part of. Since we can't hear you. Oh, sorry. Thank you for sharing that. That was amazing. But that's exactly kind of what I wanted to hear your experience with mentorship. Every Black woman I've ever known in any field, but especially in fields where we're not very, um, where we're not equally represented or, you know, hardly at all, they've all said the same thing. Like, that has been the key. Like, no matter what you do, get you a mentor. Even if it's like a profession we've been doing for years, get you a mentor because you're going to need someone to bounce ideas off. You're gonna need someone who understands you when you're in that space and no one looks like you and no one speaks the language, you know, no one knows the head nods and the mm-hmm's. When no one knows those little nuanced things, you're gonna need somebody to bounce those ideas off of and like a place to feel like, you know, you're at home, like a comfort zone. So I think that was amazing that you mentioned that. Now, I do want to put a, 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 I, w- I do want to put an emphasis on the fact that there is a difference between mentorship and sponsorship. So oftentimes women and black women, marginalized folks are over mentored, under sponsored. And because I spent so many of my years in corporate America, like this is this is a big thing for me. This is like an Achilles heel. Like we have to have mentors and sponsors and there's a difference. So like the mentor is someone that you can kind of share everything with. It could be a near peer. It could be, you know, someone that's in a position higher than you. You could either be in a person that may not be at a position or level less than you. Like mentorship can have a very broad definition in terms of where that comes from. But a sponsor is a person who has access that you don't. A sponsor is someone who like, can open up doors for you that you don't even know that exist and can be in the room and say your name in places when you are not there. We as women, all women, 
But also we as black women in particular, we must have sponsors as well as mentors, right? Because this is about like moving the needle, creating change, you know, getting access and opportunity. That is something that sponsors have power and, you know, access to do that a mentor may not. And so I think that I, I just couldn't let that go by. Like you, we, we have a lot of mentorship opportunities, but in my opinion, we still don't have enough opportunities to have sponsors, you know, folks that are going to help us get to that next level and help us break through the glass ceiling um, in the ways that our male counterparts do. Sister Bryant, you ain't said nothing but a word. <laughs> but 100%, I understand. I've received the message. I understand. I love that you said that and that you differentiated between the two because there is a big difference, especially for marginalized people, women of color, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, when I, especially when I look back on my career in corporate America, the way I was able to get to the next level, like, Many of those times it was because I had sponsors and sponsors who had authority and had positions of power that could say, oh, yeah, well, you know, to, and this actually happened to me before. Like my boss gave me one rating on one calendar year and my sponsor, who was his boss, was like, mm, nah, like she actually belongs up here and, and, and made that change and over, you know, overruled my boss to move me up based on the things that I had achieved that year. And so that's the difference in, you know, what a sponsor and a mentor can do. That sponsor can push you into places that, you know, just your skills and talents may not necessarily, you know, open the door. Like they're going to push you up there. They're going to allow you to have a seat at the table and you need that. We need that as women just as much as, as we need these mentorship relationships. Wow. I mean, I do. I gained a lot of from that conversation. And I've been in this game for a while. And I'm still learning. I love the fact that I'm a constant student, constant learner from these very transparent conversations that we get to have, um, you know, on this podcast. I love the fact, one, thank you for sharing a lot of transparency and, and just understanding that in order for us to move forward, we have to hear like these gems so that we can grow and move forward. So the whole mentorship breaking down the differences between the two is revolutionary. And I also figured out that I'm more of a sponsor than I am a mentor. <laughs> that's so I'm just like, wait, what does that mean for me? Great. I think that's, you know, that's great though, Daniel, because I think that once we get to a certain level of access and privilege, that's that's our job. Like we should become sponsors. And I think like there's been a lot of opportunity for me to do both now. It's like, mm -hmm. I can still be a mentor, you know, and I try to do as much when I'm asked, but I'm also in many times, just as you said, like a sponsor. So as many as like, oh, like here's an opportunity. Let me make an intro for you. Because, <laughs> or, or sometimes I was like, hey, there's this opportunity over here. Let me give you some names of folks you need to reach out to. And I do that just as much. And I mm -hmm. think that's an honor to be able to do that. So like, I want to say like to you, like, oh, if you're being a sponsor, that's great. Like, keep going. Because like, that's an honor. Because we haven't always had um, the access or opportunity to be sponsors mm -hmm. haven't had that power. And I think 
that's a whole nother 45 minute conversation we can have about how power looks on black women. Don't trip me. <laughs> how we use it. And I think that's that's an important conversation because mm. now that we start to see black women in, in roles uh, of authority where we do hold some power, we have to be able to use that power responsibly. And, and like I said, like that's a whole nother 45 minute conversation. <laughs> We'll book that for later, but I de- I definitely want to pin that conversation because that's a good one. Yeah, um, I absolutely love the fact that you continue to go on a little bit more as we're like taking notes here. When you mentioned the hidden figures, I mean, oh my heart just kind of melted because um one of my one of my kids did a report on uh, Catherine Johnson, and it was literally the month that she passed. I, we did not know obviously she was going to pass in that month, but he was so proud of his report that he mm. did a whole poster board of all this information and they watched hidden figures and they did all the things and then she passed and he was very mournful because he knew already so much about her life mm-hmm. and i love the sentiment that he gave which was she lives strong and well mm. and i thought that was so like impactful to me just from watching my my, my child go through this process of learning about this woman he had not, not really known before mm-hmm. um so the fact that he absorbed that and then very shortly after she had she had died. And once that legacy was triggering in the news and all these pieces, people were celebrating um, the legacy that she left behind. Those were the words yeah. that most profound out of the mouth of babes. Right. Like the kids say the darndest things. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was very, very like, wow, profound. So I totally relate to that moment where you can see that representation of yourself in your children's eyes, but also better understand like they have to take up that baton. They're the ones that are going to have to take the charge and continue to pass that on to their children, their great-grandchildren. When they go to see the next big historical film on the mm-hmm. IMAX theater, that they're mm-hmm. going to also sit in those similar chairs and kind of have a tear-jerking moment where they recognize this was the call to action the whole time. Right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that. Okay. So I have like an off-dar question Um, But I think it's still relevant to kind of who you are as a person. What do you do for self-care? Like, and how has that evolved a little bit as you've grown in your um, legacy? That's a great question. So like in reflection over the past three years, I came to the realization that I did not do a good job at self-care. Who does? (laughs) I mean. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I did such a terrible job. And I was forced to you know kind of reconsider like how important self-care is like first during the pandemic then during the year following the pandemic and trying to get back to normal and then having a traumatic year and and business like it was a lot going on let me just keep it real like there was a lot going on for me over the past three years and it was a bit of a roller coaster but I really believe honestly the thing that sort of like saved me if you will through it all was this uh, opportunity to to get back to nature like literally like I moved to I used to be in San Francisco I moved to Oakland and in my mind that's the suburbs because I was in the middle of the city but it's, it's really not but it's kind of suburban for me Um, But what it did was gave me an opportunity to get closer to nature. Like we have all these beautiful walking trails and I've been able to do that, but also just being able to spend time in nature, like in my domain, like I I'm an avid gardener now. And so 
um, I didn't really have an opportunity to to garden when I lived in a small little condo and moved into Oakland and I have. And like, that's like a hobby and an obsession. I want to say it's a little bit of both, <laughs> but it has allowed me to like kind of reconnect with nature and how much nature really is a healer and whatever way you want to engage with it, whether you're, you know, out in nature and you're an avid bird watcher, you're hiking or you're like me, a gardener or whatever you do in outdoor sports, like nature really is a healer. And for me, it's certainly over the last few years has been healing for me. And so just spending time in my garden, that's that's how I renew. Like I came off of a a week of travel this week at South by Southwest and it's always exhausting. It's not just tiring. It's like exhausting. (laughs) And the first thing that came to my mind was like, oh my God, I could be home for the weekend. I'm just going to spend time in the garden. I'm just be in the dirt and I'll make all these pictures and I'll post them on social media. <laughs> but just being able to like get back to nature, like and deeply get back to nature is one way that I have really indulged in self-care. Um, I will also say I used to be as a kid, an avid reader and I, haven't read like as many books as I, I have lots of books. I just don't take the time to read them. And now just in getting back to nature, is like causing me to slow down on many other things as well. When uh, picking up a book and not a Kindle, like I like to flip the pages, like I'm old school that way. But I feel that that also is a way to, you know, and engage in self-care. So like, it just really, this whole notion of, of soft life I was reading about the other day. And I was like, yeah, like that sounds good to me. Like finding ways to still build and be a business um, person, but also like, I want that soft life as well. I want to be able to go at a slower pace and to do things that feed me and feed my soul and Um, just feed my mind even. And so those are some of the ways that I've started to retrain myself because I have to, because I'm a recovering workaholic and I still still feel like a little bit of that, but it's, I understand it's like a retraining. It it really is. And, And how to really, I don't know, like take care of me and not just, you know, so focus on the mission of building that I'm not going to be okay at the end of it. Like, no, like I want to still be able to enjoy some of the fruits of these, <laughs> this labor as well. And that doesn't have to be monetarily. I want to be whole. I want to, as you as your son said, live good and well and, and finding ways to do that. Oh, I love this. I think this is absolutely magical because I do feel like as we approach our our golden years, we should be in this area. I'm not trying to put words in nobody's mouth now. Um, um, but I'm just saying as we approach that that era of living, um, yeah. I feel like it's really important that we do take into consideration, um, you know, our, our bodies, the timeline of our, our lives and our bodies and our minds. And understanding that transition is a graceful one. It's not yes. something that's um, demeaning in any way. It doesn't mean that you're that something's wrong or, or something's backwards or something along those lines. It's just the era of life that we're entering into. And for some people, that can be a little jarring. Movement forward always is. Always is. Mm-hmm. But it's also a level of like acceptance and embracing 
and uh, like you said, kind of falling into this natural cycle of the next thing, the next phase, whatever that is. So mm -hmm. I love that you take that on so gracefully because not a lot of women in this industry, let alone women, period, in the, in the age range do. Um, like it's a little bit of a fight, a pushback, right? <laughs> one foot in, one foot out. But I, I really do like embrace and applaud that because that's that's for me. Like if I'm when I get to that point in life, I really want to be able to be like, you know what? Let's go. You know, whatever that is, I'm gonna put my backpack on, put my sandals on, I got my Crocs ready. Like we out um, <laughs> because I I want to take on whatever that adventure is. Yeah. I want to be able to take on whatever whatever we feel like is a mountain for us to be able to slowly but surely climb it. Mm -hmm. So I like the adversity of the challenge, but also understanding and embracing that those challenges vary, right? And, they, and they're different and they're kind of contoured toward our lives. Like if we are if we had a really hard early beginning, um, you may notice that it's a lot easier to acclimate up the mountain because you've already built the endurance in those earlier parts of your life. So I really commend you for mm. being able to be able to say, you know what? Whatever that step is, I'm, I'm ready. I'm starting to embrace that a little bit more. Bless yeah. you for that. Because again, not too many women are kind of in that phase. They're definitely still more in that. I can still work. I can, you know, and not to say that you're not, but I'm saying in general, like they're still very much in that corporate mindset. And I like the fact that you are starting to kind of relax that just a little bit and be like, I can do this soft life and continue yeah. to advocate for my values and my core beliefs. Now, like I said, it, it's it's taken me a while to like get here, and I'm still, especially because I I'm always of this phrase like builders build, and I I do consider myself a builder, and so being on the path of building again, I'm like, oh, I'm building again. Here I am in that building mindset again, and you know the all nighters, you know here and there, and like here and there and everywhere with traveling and trying to build. And so I get it because I'm a builder and I, I, I builders like to build. And, and that's certainly me. But I also I'm really focusing on like, oh, I'm building 10 plus years later. Like it's different now. And I'm like, I feel those 10 years, but also I feel like I learned some things in those in that 10 year journey. And I want to build different. So like I'm like, yeah, like I, I want to build different this time. I want to be able to stop and smell the roses a little bit and, you know, like take my head up uh, above water a little bit more. And I think we, we deserve that as black women. And so like, I, I think we, we grind because we don't have a choice, you know, we're trying to make traction and, and make a way, but I think we deserve more. And so like part of my, my next endeavor is to make sure we get some more. But uh, but I also feel like I got to embody that as well. It's like, let me figure out how to build different this time and, and then let me create opportunities so that other Black women and other people from marginalized communities can build different as well. Oh, my goodness. I mean, this kind of leads me. I'm glad that you said all of these, these last little two sentences, because that's exactly where I'm going to go. All um, right. We talk about what the next step is for um, for someone in your stature. What's the next your next phase, your next adventure. What's your what's your web three um, that you're kind of moving on to here? <laughs> so, so you're curing me up a little bit. <laughs> I want to say that you know you kind of talked, you kind of hinted on something, a very important piece uh, for my next journey, like in the intro this morning, and when you were talking about ownership, either you or Cicely were talking about this thread around ownership and. 
when I was, you know, like transitioning from my role as a nonprofit founder, I really was kind of sitting with this notion of like, okay, what do I want to do next and where do I get joy in my work? And part of it was working with other women um, and creating opportunities for Black women to have access and opportunity. There was that. Um, as I said, I'm a builder and builders build, but I also love talking to other builders, creatives and innovators. Like it energizes me. I love it. Uh, but I also thought that there was a gap. Like what we did well was create opportunities for girls to learn these skills that were going to be very, I want to say, in demand in the future in the innovation economy. But we didn't do as much in creating opportunities for them to figure out how to create a pathway or a business or an opportunity for themselves. Like we did a great job of creating this really valuable tech pipeline, but I'm like, no, I don't want to just create the, the pipeline. I want us to own the pipeline. I want us to be the pathway because we are the business owners. And I felt so strongly that if we're going to change this, this generational wealth gap that we see, this racial equity wealth gap, like we can't just go to work for Google or we can't just go to work for Meta. We can't just go to work for Microsoft. We, we have to own those companies. We have to be the leaders of them. And I even now looking at how much less is being focused on DE&I and these corporations, like, well, yeah, like they don't have to, you know, invest in that anymore. So we need to see if we want to really see change. We have to be the ones that are creating the companies that are the next Facebooks, the Twitters, et cetera, so that we can write the changes into those systems. And so part of what I'm focused on now with the Sin Ventures Tech is creating several different initiatives and businesses that will help us to address this racial equity wealth gap through ownership. So that is my central thesis is like, how do I create other black business owners that look like me, that look like you, and not just to give the mentor and advice, I want to write a check. So yes, you know, part of this is creating a, an avenue to invest in these businesses. If black women are creating are the fastest growing segment of business owners and we're getting the least amount of, of financial investment, that's a problem. And so part of this work with this Ventures and Black Innovation Lab, which is an initiative that we're creating this year, is to circumvent that pattern, to create some diversity in the investment space so that these businesses that are created by Black women in marginalized communities are getting the investment of capital and resources and opportunities to scale and grow and to create better, better opportunities for ownership in the black community. Oh my gosh, like chills. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I knew about some of this beforehand. So every time I hear it come from you, it's just like, ah, there it is. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, I learned a lot over the last 10 years, but more so than anything, I learned that we're still being overlooked. Mm. <laughs> we're not being... Uh, we we still haven't got that 40 acres in a mule, right? Like we ain't got it. Mm -hmm. And so I need to figure out ways to disrupt this industry and, and really create more opportunities for us to own things. Because if we look, we talked about history a lot today, but like if we look back at history and the times when Black communities were thriving, 
it was at a time when ownership of black businesses was at a peak. Right. So I mean, like it doesn't take a, you know, a history. It's very <laughs> easy to see that if we look at black Wall Streets in the black places where black Wall Streets were all over the U.S. There was Black Wall Street in Memphis, not just in Tulsa. There mm-hmm. were other places where these very vibrant entrepreneurial communities of Black businesses were thriving. And that's when many of these communities were at their best mm-hmm. and lived and well. And we kind of lost that a bit mm-hmm. um, during the mid-60s and into the 70s. And so I think now is figuring out a way to get back to that place where we had greater ownership and greater success in building these vibrant communities. And like, I think that is this last focus of my work is really creating an opportunity to do that. Oh my goodness. I love every second of this. Um, The advocacy, the intention, the purpose, the urgency, all of it is just so empowering. And I hope I'm very much hoping that we're listening to this message men who are listening to this message, people of color who are listening to this message are picking up what we're putting down. <laughs> specifically, specifically Kimberly, because I mean, she is passing this baton. It is silver. It is gold. It is all the colors. And I just feel like this is such an empowerful, an empowering conversation in and around innovation. And I really hope too that as women are starting to uh, come to in some areas, in and around being being bolder, stepping out, advocating, stepping up even in areas um, that we can also continue to, again, pass that baton that yeah. we can, we can, we, re- we really can. And that's the part that I feel like a lot of women in tech feel kind of lost or maybe um, un maybe not only say uneducated, but just unknown about, right? That light hasn't shown bright enough for them to see that, oh, there's an option here. Right. And, um, that's something that I've even recently talked about um, uh, personally in, in some series of, of emails that are coming out recently about that journey, like seeing that, that spotlight. No one else saw it, but I saw it. I'm going to keep following it. And it's led me here. Yeah. And I just think that's so incredibly powerful for women in tech who feel like there's no light. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in this spot, but I don't know how else I can push forward. Um, maybe there's not enough resources, there's not enough sponsors and a not, enough, not enough mentors to kind of be in that place. There are spaces for you. Just reach out. Um, I think the first step we can possibly take is just being vocal about it. Mm-hmm. And then I think so finding your tribe and your community, which is what I love about this pod, is that I think we're often like pitted, especially as, as women, uh, we're pitted against each other and told that we can't build together, but we can. Mm-hmm. We, I think that's a way that they keep us in a certain little categories because we, we're taught to compete against each other rather than to build collaboratively. And I think of that in the black community as well. Like we mm-hmm. come from, we come from this, this, history of collectivism, this mindset, like that is built on collectivism, which is not like the capital mindset of winner take all. So mm-hmm. how can we reclaim that historical DNA around building collectively so that we lift up everyone in the community, not just one singular, you know, but talented tip? Like, no, like I'm not talking about building like that. I'm talking about how do we build in community where we rise all of the ships, not just a, a singular point or a scattered few. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that's how we really create generational change. Hey, Callie, thank you so much for your comment. Um, she is thoroughly enjoying this conversation. Um, I really appreciate that. Um, I really also want to have people find you, connect with you, follow you, um, and all the cool things that you're doing. How can they do that? Oh, okay. That's great. So I am, as I said a couple of times, I'm very active on social media. <laughs> so <laughs> always find me on social media um, at six, the number six gems, G-E-M-S. And that's on most of the social media platforms. But you can also reach out to me on LinkedIn um, as we launch this new venture with Ascend Ventures and Black Innovation Lab. You can find us at ascendventures.tech. That should be launching soon. And just really reach out at any of those portals because we're looking to find collaborators. And I want to say conspirators that are like of the same mindset of like building and creating opportunities to create generational wealth and create opportunities for communities to thrive as well. I love it. Every ounce of this conversation has been so fruitful from head to toe. Um, Callie, I know you have more questions and we're going to answer those probably in the comments, just so you know. Um, but I want to go ahead and go straight into our flash questionnaire. So oh, if you're new to the space, we do a flash questionnaire for every guest where you just tell us the first thing that comes into mind as we ask you these random questions. So right. um, let's do it. <laughs> Don't be scared. It's not that bad, I promise. <laughs> um, okay, so something new you've learned in the past year. So a life lesson, hobby, or a fun fact? Oh. Oh, my God. Oh, be... See, I, I'm just so terrible at this because I overthink it. <laughs> I don't even so... It can be gardening related. <laughs> just anything you've learned in the past year. Oh, wow. I'm something new I learned in the last. I learned, let me just say, I learned about Egypt. I took a trip to Egypt and I learned all about the, the kings and queens of ancient Egyptian history. <laughs> okay, that's amazing. That counts. See, that's what we're talking about. All right. um, your favorite vacation or getaway spot? Oh, anywhere on the continent of Africa. Um, Wonderful anywhere on the continent of Africa, but most recently Egypt, <laughs> but South Africa, Morocco, um, anywhere on the continent is my favorite place to vacation. That's amazing. Um, sweet snacks or savory snacks? Mm, savory. Okay. Harry Potter or Star Wars? Ooh, Harry Potter. Nice. Um, <laughs> digital books or physical books? I already answered that. This is a book. It's a, it's a physical <laughs> For me, I won't turn some pages. <laughs> okay, I, I agree. Like, I think what 98, 99% of our guests, it's physical books. Yeah. Um, if you could go back in time, where would you go and who would you see? Oh, this is, I may sound crazy, but like, I am such a history buff. I feel like I was born too late. Like, I should have been out there <laughs> in the 60s, like, Black Power. It's, it's me. Like, I go back to the 60s and I want to talk to Malcolm X. <laughs> I want to talk to Malcolm. I think that's amazing. There's nothing wrong with that. I love that. You're, you see, you're a revolutionary spirit. <laughs> I love it. 
disrespect. That's why I was like, it may be crazy because that was a crazy time. But like, listen, I feel like I would have been out there. I, and I asked my mother this, like, why was she not out there on the run? <laughs> that is my spirit. So, yeah. You I love that. Surprised. Kimberly, we had people say uh, Harriet Tubman. Ooh. Yes, Harriet Tubman was our last one. And I was like, okay, Harriet, yes. <laughs> Very much. I love me some Harriet Tubman. Mm. <laughs> a little bit more or maybe a little bit less radical, if you would, depending on. <laughs> right, depending on the scale of radicalness. Right, right, right. <laughs> I agree. Um, so what is your love language? So, like, how do you like to receive love? Uh, that's a great question. Really great question. I want to say affection, like a physical affection. That's me for for receiving. I want to be like, give me a hug. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you love to be embraced. I love that. See, that's good. That's good stuff. Yeah. Endorphins, serotonin, all the good stuff comes from that. <laughs> um, and then last but not least, the best part of being a grown-up. Huh. Freedom. Absolutely. Freedom. Just be able to be free. That's the best part of be living life. But it always freedom. It's about freedom. Absolutely. Doing what you want when you want to do it. I'm a hundred percent yes. <laughs> Man, this has been absolutely magical for me. I don't know if anyone can tell, like, my cheekbones are, like, sore because I'm smiling so hard. Um, Kimberly, is there anything additional you would like to share um, on the mic today? No, I don't think there's anything. We touched on a lot of different things, but I just want to say for anybody who is listening, like, for me, like, this, every year said, like, a, a you know, I, I kind of, like, want to say, like, a, a a, a word is my word for the year. And for like multiple years, my word has really been this, this, this thing about grace, like in mm. understanding that life is a journey and you're going to go through ups and you're going to go through downs, but learning how to embrace giving yourself grace and then learning how to extend it to others. Like that is the key. Because if you can do grace and show grace and extend grace to yourself and others in the valley, you can absolutely do it on the mountaintops. So learning how to cultivate a spirit of grace will get you through more things than you can ever imagine. And so that would be my last and final word. Oh, man. And it was a word. <laughs> it was a word. That was amazing. Yeah. And reach out. We're looking. We're about to launch. So <laughs> look out to. I'm going to be following you on, on the channels, on all the things. <laughs> and like, if you've been a partner in the past or love the work that, we, that I've done in the past, I would love to work with folks again and um, build something new and, and very impactful for our community. So reach out and look for connection. Looking for the connections. <laughs> I love this. It's all about connecting. I hope that some of these words that women are listening to today really, really, really connected today. So um, I really am so thankful for your time and your grace, Kimberly. Thank you for your wisdom, um, your legacy that you've left behind, the call to arms that you've left behind for plenty of other women and people of color in tech, period. Thank you. Thank you both for having me today. Thank you for a wonderful conversation.
Thank you. We're honored. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening to the More Than Graphics podcast. Um, we invite you to subscribe and follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Send us your feedback on Facebook or Twitter on how our life stories and our virtual safe spaces are helping educate, empower, or encourage you. As always, visit our website at mtgthepodcast.com and subscribe to our emails for exclusive behind-the-scenes moments like Clubhouse happening twice a month at 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. So until next time, everybody. And just like that, the episode ends, but the convo has just begun. Thanks for listening to the MDG podcast. We want to hear from you. If you enjoyed our podcast, give it a review on your listening app of choice. Continue to follow us across MTG social and look out for bonus content releases throughout the year. This podcast is produced by Octane Design Studios. Until next time, friend.